Oh. It's a you edit and a you host, apparently. Me host? Yeah, you picked it. <sighs> Did I? <laughs> yeah. I thought I reluctantly said, okay, fine, shove it on. Nah, this was on your list. It wasn't on my list. Oh, man. Okay. Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast talking about 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. Volume 4, possibly the final volume, is the 1980s. This is episode 83, Trading Places. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips, who has shaken me to the core by telling me moments before we start recording that I chose this movie for the list, not him. Benjamin, how are you? I'm good. I mean, look. Look. So, so that my record in blackface is is awful. Yeah, this is a movie which <laughs> I actually think is really weirdly progressive in a lot of like interesting and good ways, especially <laughs> economics. It is yeah. just so thoroughly let down by it being so of a piece of it coming out in 1983. Every single one of my complaints about this movie are very much like one. John Landis is a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Somehow, not as terrible as his son, but, you know, these things happen. I, I, I don't know. Like, like, murdering three people kind of gets you up there into being... I mean, did you not more person. like manslaughter three people? I guess more like manslaughter. Whereas but... his son, like, actually voluntarily participated in... Um... <laughs> Bad family. Bad family. But no, right, podcast episode, Trading Places. Look, 1983 was kind of slim pickings. Eddie Murphy was arguably the biggest star of the 80s. We did not have him anywhere else on the list. I would have stumped for Beverly Hills Cop, but the rules of this podcast, one movie per director, and that takes Beverly Hills Cop out, and we're definitely not doing Beverly Hills Cop 3, so... <laughs> luckily, that's a, that's a 90s movie, luckily. Oh, of course. Well, there you go. Who did 2? Was that Breast as well? Who did 2? Well, we don't really do sequels anyway, so... like. No, we don't. The Beverly Hills Cop franchise. Beverly Hills Cop 2 was directed by Tony Scott. Jesus. Oh, man. See, that one's alright. The third one's fucking trash. Okay, right. So, so Beverly we, Hills Cop we, 2 from do... memory. <laughs> Here we go. Shall we do John Landis's career? Just... Yeah, just Whilst we're on John Landis being a terrible person, you know who's got a really good run of movies until he manslaughters three people? John Landis. John Landis. <laughs> yes, I know. That's why his dipshit son was able to make so many movies, because his dad is fucking John Landis. Animal House, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, Trading Places, then he murders three people. <laughs> Didn't he technically murder two people before this came out? I feel like the Twilight Zone thing. Twilight Zone is like, I guess, it, when this movie is in production, to the point where like Spielberg is just like, we need to take control of from directors and then like George Miller like quits the editing process and Joe Dante has to like edit the George Miller pieces of that movie together Great. it literally is like when you look at like the new Hollywood era for like film mm. it literally starts in kind of like the early 70s and then it's just like the last movie is Twi Twilight Zone the movie wow it like it literally ends a decade plus of like Hollywood allowing directors to have control over sets for good reason and like he comes back and does like two more decent movies after Twilight Zone with Three Amigos and Coming to America mm -hmm. but then, you know, brings a lot of this cast, well, a lot, three of this cast back. He is definitely Eddie Murphy's go-to director in the 80s. Like, Eddie yeah, Murphy even though <laughs> Eddie Murphy's like, yeah, he killed a guy. Like, I'm not testifying on his behalf. And Landis is like, I held it against him that he did not testify on my behalf. 
but we'll still make a movie or two together. I mean, the thing is, like, I think Landis has his fingers in like all of Murphy's like most iconic roles until Eddie Murphy pivots into I'm a family comedy star now. Mm, I do movie. Doctor I do movies. <laughs> Doctor Doolittle, like Tom. the uh, Nutty <laughs> Professor, and all yeah. the rest of it. Like, and then obviously Shrek is is where Eddie Murphy kind of just gets so rich he doesn't. Need I was going to gonna say, has Shrek made him more money than like the rest of his career combined? <laughs> I have to imagine so. He's probably getting just stupid money from Shrek. But yeah, like it is undeniable. Where where is this in Eddie Murphy's career? Because this is this second isn't, movie. It's, like, it's his second movie yeah. after Forty Eight Hours, isn't it? Yeah, which hadn't come out and when this movie this was. Con- starting to be made so they were just going purely like John Landis didn't know who Eddie Murphy was doesn't watch SNL even though he you know look how much of his career is like full of SNL people but no it is it is so weird to like think how early on in Eddie Murphy's career is this is how kind of like this is literally the kind of nadir of well, not the nadir this is the peak of like Landis's career it is a movie that has stuck around in the consciousness I think through virtue of it being a Christmas movie and like that is a big reason why it's still kind of like held up today but then also you watch it and like um so on on letterbox like uh, jamel bowie who is a really big culture writer who also kind of like quite enjoys movies kind of sits there and goes like watching this movie you can't get away from the 1983 of it all but it is still probably the best american comedy about wealth race power and, and all those different things it's yeah. just wrapped up in it, this just so much bullshit and there's there is so much to recommend about this movie but when i'm sat there watching it and my partner is literally sat there going like what's happening right now why are they all dressing up as different regional stereotypes and then mm. dan Aykroyd works on with mm. like the worst blackface you've ever seen mm. and Eddie Murphy is doing like an incredibly also problematic impression of someone from Africa mm-hmm. and you're like dear lord this movie has like gone off the deep end from yeah, being yeah the action- last 20 minutes is not good stuff and then um, it kind of pulls it back when it goes onto like the trading floor it's literally no just it like- doesn't that's all bad it's literally the train is where the movie is at its worst because the train is just like <laughs> what if we have gorilla rape what if Belushi the Lasso were here again and speaking of so this movie is original well it's originally conceived for fucking Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder to run it back which is why you have young Eddie Murphy trying to pass as a fucking Vietnam veteran <laughs> and stuff like that but a version of it was going to be Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi which mm. you then would have probably achieved all of the like economic commentary social class commentary without having to do 100 slurs and take it just a little bit too far there are elements of the racial stuff that work but like i feel like i got i got the message like four slurs ago you know like they they just take it that little bit too far and like you know even if we ignore the blackface which we shouldn't because that entire scene is just deranged from every angle jamie lee curtis's awful swedish accent and the gorilla festivity (laughs) (laughs) i think the movie movie could have been just fine if the only slur in the movie was from Tom the, whichever Duke brother it is when he's in the bathroom and Murphy overhears yeah, it's, him it's, goes like yeah, the, yeah. the hard oh I wouldn't give the company to a like hard n word and you're yeah, like oh yeah, like yeah. like having that be the only slur probably gives it some level of power I but mean, just having it tossed off so frequently you're just like you're really overdoing this yeah yeah of- that's the thing like there's so much like oh there are very musical people and like he'll need this when he goes back to the ghetto and all of that like it's like okay I get what you're going for these are bad 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 people it's when we're like towards the end of the movie and Dan Aykroyd is like it was this horrible negro and it's like what the fuck man aren't you supposed to have been through your like journey of discovery I think that's kind of like why people didn't like this movie at the time where Mm. like 
1983, it is seen as this kind of like trying to redo the screwball comedy genre. Yes. Obviously, a big part of the screwball comedy genre is they are quite moralistic uh-huh. in the end, where it's like, if someone falls from grace, they're going to learn a lesson and they're going to become a better person at the end. And this and isn't going to do that work. Like, I think you kind of have to do the work. Or, no. Um, the movie, it's the not going to outright does... tell you its morals. Yeah, the movie does have morals. It's yeah. just the morals are all in subtext. Yeah. The movie doesn't end with... And it's probably the most fucked up thing about this movie is that the like, and the most 80s kind of like Reagan-era economics <laughs> view of this entire thing where a better version of this movie that is actually like solidly leftist in its outlook doesn't end up with these two people making millions of dollars and living on a beach and just kind of like hoarding their wealth in the same way that like perpetuating the cycle of just how bad it is that all of this happens. It's probably Dan Aykroyd learning to be happy without money. <laughs> yeah, like or, or like he's giving away his wealth to kind of like privileged, underprivileged people. Like they, they're reinvesting it into like the community that Dan Aykroyd spent time in in the movie. Yeah. Instead, Dan Aykroyd spends no time in the community. He, he hangs out with a sex worker. And Who then, falls in love with him. Just <laughs> absolute bullshit. And then proceeds to then try and murder multiple people and then commit <laughs> suicide. Yeah, okay. You mentioned a few minutes ago that, like, the comment about, like, it being a movie about, well, like, commentary on wealth and stuff like that. And and I did see, I have seen some, like, writings about the movie of, like, there was Brewster's Millions after this, and that was it. That, like, there is a belief that, like, basically a lot of this applies to the bigwigs in Hollywood who don't want to be made fun of for being rich, so just nothing. I mean, you have stuff like Richie Rich, but that is, like, not in any way trying to take down rich people. <laughs> no, that's the thing, is, like, you can get it through, like, kids' media, where it's just so cartoonish, like, yeah. oh yeah, we can have Scrooge McDuck yeah. diving into a pit of money. <laughs> this is probably the most leftist mainstream American comedy movie made by like a major studio, yeah, yeah. and it's kind of sad that this is this is the like peak of that as a as a genre. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to try and make some sort of argument for The Big Short and Wolf of Wall Street and stuff like, but I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is kind of like entirely glamorizing the wealth. I mean, again, we we that movie comes up all the time. They get on my high horse about how this guy's a piece of shit, but that this is just so explicitly about like economic struggle and the way the system is rigged. It's very expensive to be poor and it's very easy to stay rich kind of thing. Yeah, um, shall, shall we do Context 1983 and yeah, then go on. dive into it? So, this movie comes out in 1983. It's actually a big stonking hit. It ends up number seven for the yearly box office. Like a good, a good solid comedy movie. It doesn't quite hit 100 million dollars at the you know at the US box office, but like 90 million shows that kind of Eddie Murphy is this huge rising star who's going to command the box office, and obviously he just parlays that onto just the, the decade of the biggest star in the world. Yeah, I, I think he he got three million dollars for Beverly Hills Cop, which sounds like fucking nothing now, but was quite a lot of money then uh, for somebody, especially at the stage of his career he was at, and like I think he was voted like the second biggest box office draw behind Clint Eastwood in terms of like I will go pay money to see this man yeah, yeah. and I also want to say I, I've read something that there was like speculation that 83 would be this huge boom for like like movies would make a record amount of money or something like that I don't know well, if that I, holds, I guess it's holds because up, you look but... at it, you look at it and you've got like so the number one movie of the year is obviously Star Wars Episode 6 yes you also have Flashdance number 2 you've got two Bond movies at number 3 and number 4 with Octopussy and Never Say Never Again mm. obviously one of those isn't official but it's still funny to see <laughs> Like, have we talked about on the podcast how I grew up not knowing that wasn't a real Bond movie? <laughs> we haven't. Okay. I grew up in a house that fucking loves James Bond. We had so many of them on VHS recorded from TV. Never Say Never Again was just on the shelf. I had no reason to not realise. And I just, I've, I, mean, I watched it so many times. And then when I was, I don't know, cut to 
when I'm like in my 20s and it's like oh yeah it's not it's it's like a remake it's a parody it's a gentle like wink wink nudge nudge and I was like what are you talking about and then I realized <laughs> and I was like wait it is Thunderball isn't it but I, think, I guess all of those early Bond movies are like quite similar in their plots like I've just started like doing like a big watch of all the Bond movies and like you literally watch Doctor No and then you watch From Russia With Love and mm. the first 30 to 40 minutes of that movie are like identical it's literally Bond yeah, gets uh, a mission from M gets on a plane gets followed out of the st- uh, out the airport by like someone I think they even shoot it in the same goddamn airport that they shot <laughs> Doctor No in even though he's in yeah. he, one movie he's in like Middle East and the other movie he's in the Caribbean yeah, or, like unless a lady is getting painted gold or like Roger Moore is running along the back of some crocodiles it's pretty difficult to off the top of your head pick out which scenes are in which movies but anyway so two Bond movies two Bond movies then you've got Staying Alive you've got the best picture winner Tums Within Demon at number 6 because that movie was just a huge 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 phenomenon uh, then obviously Trading Places Superman 3 I think Diminishing Returns there at number 8 War Games mm. and Sudden Impact weird year in the movies but also like just kind of exciting year that the idea that the best picture winner is like a hundred million dollar grocer is just kind of wild mm. in, in kind of today's context like everyone went to go see the fucking cancer movie yeah and it doesn't really happen these days it's kind of like popular movies and, and the movies that win Oscars are very much different crowds to the point where like Oscar movies almost feel like they're, they're treated like they're like wanky indie shit when and like sometimes they'll nominate like a really high grossing movie like you'll get Black Panther you'll get Joker you'll get like Mad Max Fury Road kind of like get nominated for best picture but they always are never feel like they're in contention of the actual big awards like it's always going to be something that's a lot smaller speaking of Joker did you spot the Batman tie-in in this movie no wait, what okay, was so hot off the heels of the announcement Lady Gaga is going to play Harley Quinn is she playing Harley Quinn I don't think they I feel know. she confirmed she's playing Harley Quinn I don't <laughs> Hot off the heels of that, which may be dated by the time you hear this, one Arlene Sorkin, aka the original Harley Quinn from Batman the Animated Series, plays the, um, you know when he's at the restaurant with all of them and, and uh, Louis is, is looking in from the outside and it's raining. <laughs> The lady that like whispers something Eddie Murphy's ear. Is that Arlene Sorkin? That is Arlene Sorkin, yes. Who that. Harley Quinn is like based on like Paul Dini is like old friends with her and like based the character entirely around her. So like yeah, that's Harley Quinn right there. Anyway, <laughs> I yeah, just need uh, to get that in wherever I can. But yeah, like we've just spoken about Turns with Demon, other movies nominated the Academy Awards this year for Best Picture are The Big Chill, The Dresser, The Right Stuff, and Tender Mercies. Have you seen any of those movies, Matt? I've seen Turns with Demon. You've seen Turns with Demon? Yeah. You've seen the um, right stuff? Maybe. I can't remember. It, but maybe. But the reason why we're covering the Oscars for this movie is if you scroll all the way down, <laughs> all the way down to original song score or adaptation score, you get to Trading Places because it isn't actually in the best original score category. It's in this like weird side category. I don't even know what the reasoning is for that because it's not like because they used a piece of music. <laughs> yeah, is it because they used a piece of music or is it because this is like a soft adaptation of Prince and the Pauper and like they've gone like it's not an, a real movie like they've mm-hmm. adapted piece of work but it's not credited whatsoever I, I think just because it, it contains so much music particularly a lot of Mozart and, and yeah. stuff like that but, and, and you know the, the very I mean the piece that plays at the beginning oh no not at the beginning sorry yeah The Marriage of Figaro which is what yes. plays is about trying to like turn fortune between like a servant and a master kind of thing so thematically appropriate well I'm also now annoyed because at the BAFTAs this mm. movie is like all over the fucking place like Denel Mediot is a nominee for better, wins best supporting actor Jamie Lee Curtis wins best supporting actress for this movie and then the other thing that I'm really annoyed by is Ryuchi Sakamoto's score for Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence is up at the BAFTAs but not the Oscars at all and that's is absolutely incredible. Fair enough. Uh, well, Dan Hong Elliott is incredible as Coleman. Best character in the movie, IMO. 
Anyway, um, so let's talk. I mentioned the Mozart plot because I mean, the beginning sure is like, hey, did you know that Philadelphia? Just a solid like three straight minutes of like you, you, you just fully expect like Rocky to start running along or them to well, play they like show the Rocky titles. statue. <laughs> they do play the Rocky statue. Pretty it moving. It's now at the bottom of the steps. Yeah, not you know, you see like you know the meat packers and the, the the you know everything. But to be fair, timing it so that like at the moment the music stops is when he is awoken to his breakfast pretty fun um, and they put in the hard work to make it very clear that lewis winthrop winthorpe i whenever anyone is called winthorpe or winthrop i always say the wrong one i'm just gonna call him lewis yeah why do we call butlers by their last names why do we call rich people by their last by their surnames? i was gonna say I, yeah i was gonna say did you pick up on that that like he and penelope call each other by their last names when they're alone together like this fucking private school nonsense of like i say having been to a private school where i heard a great deal of that anyway yes they go out of their way to make dan Aykroyd's character incredibly unlikable just standing there waiting for what feels like an eternity for his chauffeur to open his door for him like come on dude. his like greetings to everyone at his his job getting like increasingly like non-personal and like disinterested yeah just just generally like an asshole and like, <laughs> i don't know the ins and outs of stockbroking but it sure does seem like he rocks up to work uh makes one call puts his feet on the table and then goes out after like <laughs> half an hour an hour and calls it a day of work i don't I mean, know i mean the, the whole issue with stockbrokering <laughs> is all you are is a glorified gambler. But I mean, you're but it's for, like, for, like for Billy Ray to pick up on that and be like, so you're a bookie, and they're like, yeah, he gets it. <laughs> yeah, Good. Like you're, a, you're a state-sanctioned bookie, essentially, is yeah. all you are. And the issue with it is, is like because you trade in so much money that you keep the economy in quotation marks afloat. If you lose money, then they have to bail you out because who knows where the fuck that money's going? It's just the most kind of sickening thing yeah, about I mean, all we, of this. We've seen it in the last two years, especially like, oh, here's a trillion dollars for the stock market. The amount of people I was watching rewatch this when the the GameStop stock stuff was going on is, is quite funny because obviously this they feel akin to each other in terms of like, especially the final scene with the shorting of the stock and all the rest of it like you can see the straight line literally from why this movie would come to mind when fucking GameStop is imploding <laughs> yeah. yeah and on that note Timothy Harris who wrote the script or co-wrote the script with Herschel Weingrad clearly hates stockbrokers <laughs> Like, I think he's mentioned that he knew a, a, a pair of stockbroker brothers that like had this ongoing rivalry and you know he met with a lot of stockbrokers and yeah just all this shit just a bad bad time and you know they, they introduce us to the characters in this order of like here is Winthorpe isn't he kind of a piece of shit and then here are the even bigger pieces of shit brothers as we get Hollywood legends Don Amici and Ralph Bellamy I think this was Ralph Bellamy's 99th movie which is wow. super fucked up because Bellamy was in his 99th Don Amici was in his 49th and Eddie Murphy was in his second and he was like between us we've made 150 movies <laughs> <laughs> which is lovely stuff I think the, the, the veterans acknowledged that Aykroyd and, and Murphy basically didn't know who they were and vice versa and they were all just cool with it but hey so yeah we, we have these two Hollywood legends who like Don Amici hadn't been in anything for quite a long time and then and he's, he's not really in much afterwards either well he, he goes on to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination out of Cocoon is the thing. So, I mean, this is known as like a star-making vehicle for Eddie Murphy and arguably Jamie Lee Curtis, and it kind of turns Dan Aykroyd's career around, but even fucking Don Amici gets his first big thing in years out of and then the so. And the Mortimer brothers, are, or the Duke brothers, sorry, are in Coming to America, aren't they? Yes, as homeless people who he gives loads of money to to get them off the street. <laughs> 
good little touch there. So yeah, I mean, these two are just fucking awful. I mean, they, they kind of don't quite reveal how awful they are for a few minutes, but I mean, it seems to me like it's supposed to read as like, they are just the, the, the next level of Winthorpe. Their house is bigger, they have more servants, they have, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Um, and they're just bickering little fucking children the whole movie. And they always I say, mean, like, they're more important things than money, but like, very clearly... <laughs> I don't believe that. There is nothing more important than money, or like if the only thing more important than money is like their ability to have like power over other people, yeah. and they're like, I mean, because the whole crux of the movie is basically, for whatever reason, they are kind of like, and why the movie is kind of interesting still is they are literally nature versus nurture in terms of like their philosophical opinions. Yes. And it's so weird for the, the crux of the movie to be a literal philosophical debate, mm -hmm. admittedly done by the two worst people in the world who don't actually give a shit about the fact that they're toying with like human lives. They destroy multiple human lives over a one dollar bet and they're like, oh we've done it before. <laughs> you didn't need to throw that in there. I think I could have probably inferred that. I bet for the usual amount. <laughs> they give a Christmas bonus of five dollars and that's from both of them to one of the people at the club which yeah just really fucking shitty and you know they get worse and worse throughout and it's like for a while you're like oh maybe one of them's gonna be the nice one it's like nope equally awful terrible in fact like for a time it seems like randolph ralph bellamy is kind of the nicer one because he is more willing to give billy ray like a chance and he's like no 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 you this is good he can do this he can and then he is the no, one that's because he's the one winning the bet because he's the one that's <laughs> going like actually no it's it's nurture, or like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's nurture that the thought that's kind of like what helps. Like, Where if you're in that environment, you're going to act like you're in that environment. I guess we should go no further before we declare which side of, of that philosophical debate are we on. Are you a nature or a nurture person, Benjamin? I mean, I don't think I'm on either side of the debate. It's very <laughs> much, it very probably much, the correct it very, be, much yes. it very much is like, yes, if you're put into an environment in which you are raised in wealth or you're raised in, in, poverty or whatever that is going to completely affect what your worldview is mm. but on the flip side of it is you also take so much from your parents but like it's not a nature thing in that it isn't a biological like you have not it's still it's, nurture it's just a different yeah, it's, kind it's of just type of nurture yeah exactly yeah. like you are still taking stuff from your parents it's just it isn't biologically ingrained in you which is kind of what the kind of the, the nature debate in this movie is where the nature debate is like oh because this person is black because this person is is white they're going to have different like well, naturally well, different instincts yeah like Mortimer is of the belief people are just born good and bad and clever and dumb and wicked and, and kind and all of this and you know very clearly is a giant racist I think it's him that drops the hard R um, it is yeah, yeah he is yeah. the one that but it's not like Randolph is quick to like be like oh you can't say that he is the one that is is saying they're a very musical people aren't they and stuff like that so just truly atrocious people and then we meet Billy Ray Eddie Murphy outside as I mean even this is a little iffy like having him put on this fucking injured Vietnam veteran routine and then like sexually harassing a random woman <laughs> and yeah it's all a bit iffy and again I could see Richard Pryor doing it and I think that's there's they just didn't change it but yeah so we meet them in turn the three main parties we won't meet Jamie Lee Curtis for a very long time and really like we think of her as a big character because she's now a big name but like as conceived Ophelia isn't supposed to be a huge character I don't think but um, no she's like like sixth build in this movie like she's behind Coleman she's behind the Duke brothers it's obviously I mean like to preempt the conversation on Jamie Lee Curtis the reason why people take her seriously in this movie kind of is because this is her movie 
moving from horror into big studio like serious movie mm-hmm. and it's why you get the fucking the screen monologue about like Jamie Lee doesn't show her tits until she goes legit kind of thing like and, and it's it's that kind of I mean that is another huge piece of the legacy of this movie is yeah. this is Jamie Lee Curtis's debut in mainstream Hollywood movies and also it's her nude scene debut and she said like she did all these horror movies and the first time she felt exploited was when she did a quote unquote legit movie so she she is naked in this multiple times I think she does another nude scene later that same year and then she basically never does one again or if she does she's in a lot more control over kind of yeah. like when she's doing yeah. it and stuff like that yeah. she's good in the movie until she has to do a Swedish accent but <laughs> we get our premise and, and I you talk about it being kind of like weirdly progressive and, and, and I think one of the big legacy parts of the movie is it is oddly prescient like large aspects of it I mean there are parts of it that do not hold up today but then there are parts that feel yeah prophetic and like I think you can look no further than they bump into each other on the street and Dan Aykroyd is like, he's trying to steal from me. He's got a gun. And like the police chase him into the, cl- and like, you know, 50 guns in his face and, and all this sort of stuff. And it's, and, then, and, it's and, this, and it's this stuff that just makes it hard for me to like dislike this movie because I'm yeah. like, I, like I have to look at it through a lens of like it is so of the time that it came out and mm. some of the content is awful. Like, I mean, I assume you watched it on Now or Sky or whatever, it's the same place I would, or did you have it on Blu-ray or? Uh, I rented it. You rented from... it. Did it come with the warning? Because on Sky when no. I watched it, it came with a warning beforehand saying like, yeah, there, there was like a group of of movies after George Floyd that they, I think Sky in particular, like they changed sixteen movies to have like. A warning that's like hey people used to be fucked up <laughs> yeah it was like it, it literally is the warning saying like the content of this movie does not match up to modern standards but we are presenting it here today unchanged mm. to kind of like show the context of the time and i do think that that is kind of the correct way to go about it rather than the kind of the blanket we will remove the blackface episode of community oh, because... that's so fucked up that is so fucked up that they remove that one like they acknowledge it in the damn thing <laughs> chang is an idiot like oh anyway it's bad in this movie, but it does couch it into like almost like an historical lesson. It's like I would campaign for like the birth of a nation to be banned. I think it is like an integral piece of American cinema, especially in like the technological advancements of American cinema, but also as a warning to go like yeah. this is what happens when you let a Ku Klux Klan sympathizer create art essentially and you yeah, end up yeah. with just awfulness. So do you think this is a well made movie? Because I've seen a lot of people kind of disagreeing. Like I've seen some people saying like they think this movie looks really fucking cheap, and I've seen some people yeah. saying that like, actually this movie looks really Really good and I'm kind of of two minds where like there are some moments where I'm like this looks like a pe- cheap piece of shit and there's other moments where I'm like actually I think for a comedy movie in the 80s it's well made obviously I- we're coming off the back of King of Comedy which is made by who many people think is the greatest director of all time so it's not a fair scale but there are times where I think for an 80s comedy movie it looks pretty decent there are times where it's just like bog standard like whatever I can't help but compare it to like Groundhog Day mm. um, where like you know I don't think technical filmmaking is the priority of the people making the thing and occasionally you luck into it because you know John Landers directed a lot of stuff and it's not all comedy even by accident he must have some instincts you know so I think that's why you occasionally get some shoddy stuff and occasionally it's like, oh, that's really well done how about you? yeah, yeah I mean, things I keep when I think of like the movie looking good I always think of like the scene when the Duke's kind of like set Winthorpe up for up to be arrested essentially it's like <laughs> just quite a, like, an interestingly constructed scene with all of them traipsing, traipsing into this room and mm. the way it's shot and they all look similar and all the rest of it and oh, then yeah. at, other point, at other points you're like it's very obviously two guys in gorilla suits and one gorilla suit looks marginally better than the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, they do stuff like all the stockbrokers coming out of the bathroom and not washing their hands at the sound of the bell kind of thing. All of that is really 
funny and, and, and well shot. Yeah, so, you know, we, we meet our three and, and they, they, they've had their argument and we've got our, like, little, you know, he's bumped into him and accused him of theft and then we get the fucking horrific, like, I'm assuming you're from a broken home and you have a string of juvenile offences and all this. And just to say, you know, the race is not the only way it's problematic. Eddie Murphy multiple times drops the F slur. I mean, there's multiple intimations of, like, prison rape as well when yes. he's in his, like, little self well, in which included a cameo from Giancarlo Esposito uh-huh, uh-huh. as, like, just randomly in the corner. Um, and and yet, well. I actually do think it's quite funny when Dan Aykroyd says, those men tried to have sex with me. <laughs> funny, <laughs> it's but... funny. It's funny coming from him because, like, he obviously probably didn't have, like, that terrible time, I have to imagine. Because he's, he's so kind of, like, makes it a bigger thing than actually would have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Slightly problematic, but Ron Taylor and Jay Turner are credited as a big black guy and even bigger black guy mm-hmm. uh, credits. Um, but right. I mean, again, this is how like comedy movies often are. You look in the credits and you look down the you know down the cast list, and you do get things like hot waitress and stuff like that. Yeah. So, do you think? So, uh, so it's kind of a two-piece question. Obviously, mm. this movie is written by I assume two white people. I can't actually find a picture of Timothy Harris. I would um, assume. I see that he spent time living in like Europe and North Africa, but I just I assume that he is mm. a a white person. Especially when you look at his, his credits after this movie and it's stuff like Bruce's Millie. Twins, Kindergarten Cop, Falling Down Space Jam, and Astro Boy. Yep. <laughs> it's, quite, um, it's quite a career. Herschel Weingrod is, is a very Jewish name. So. <laughs> yes, yes. And we know John Landis is, is racial makeup at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, do you think this movie could have been better if there had been yes. people of colour in the room at the time that they're making this? Obviously, yes. I have to assume Eddie Murphy is doing improv, and some of his improv based on what his comedy content in the in the 80s and 90s yeah, was. Yeah, I mean, he, he has of... always done, like, problematic African characters and, 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 like, you know, I think the gay panic stuff. So some of this is coming from him, for sure. But, I mean, the old white men <laughs> dropping all these slurs is definitely coming from white guys. I think this is what I keep coming back to is I think this movie would have potentially been better if it were John Belushi. And, we, like I said, you keep all of the commentary on wealth and, and status. And, but if you're going to do this, set out to do this and have a creative team that can handle these issues and like one of the titles for the movie was Black and White, which went on to be a very weird movie with Robert Downey Jr. getting beaten up by Mike Tyson for trying to have sex with him. Anyway But like, and then the flip side of the question is, obviously a lot of movies from this era that tackle race, things like Blazing Saddle which mm-hmm. obviously like before this movie but is famous for being like the movie that people point to and it's like, well you couldn't make that nowadays. And yes. obviously again, it, it's tackling race in such a way where like it is problematic in today's life, but it is still prescient and still like making a point is just making it a point in a language that is just so thoroughly outdated at this point that it becomes hard to take it at face value in modern society in which the way we talk about these things has so so thoroughly evolved, but it is important as a piece of like this is the the stepping stones of racial content in America and watching how it evolves to the point where we get to nowadays where we actually have black filmmakers consistently making films in America that are tackling race in interesting and nuanced ways. I could see a world in which you could remake Trading places in this modern day world like the, the crux of it is still an issue in america and i feel like with the right creative team the right actors you could do a version of this movie whether or not it's two white people or white and a black person or like even two black people you could make this movie that is commenting on the economics and the kind yeah. of like the, the the social the social elements in terms of like race and make it well nowadays 
and have it come about in like an interesting way. It isn't a movie that feels like it's so thoroughly of its time that you couldn't make it because the concept is rich and fertile as of the fact that it is based on Prince and the Pauper. Like it is yeah. literally hundreds of year old story. Like it still has relevance. Obviously, this this movie takes it onto its onto its head where essentially Prince and the Pauper they they voluntarily swap lives, whereas yeah. this yeah. is like forced upon them. And that's the interesting wrinkle and probably why they don't credit Prince and the Pauper as as like the yeah. the influence of this movie as like a officially credited. I think that makes it even more... I think it drives the point home even further because, like, this is all the twisted game of, like, the wealthy elite, you know? It's not just, like, a rich guy, a whimsical, bored rich guy being like, I'd like to slum it for a week and then go back to my comfortable life. Like, you know, Winthorpe is also, like, a bad person, but, like, there are, like, levels of bad people and, you know, all of that is still true today. There are, like, the noisiest people about capitalism and wealth and and social values are like mid-level rich the truly rich people you never fucking hear from except elon musk but that's more you kind of hear more from his cult of yeah they know exactly like i will never touch the internet like maybe they've got like a problem about like i will not make my my point of view be known i like i'll be a warren buffett who will like sell stuff or like speak to people in person or whatever it is but like i'm not gonna be a online presence most people don't know who owns google we know the name of bezos and we know the name of musk and buffett and gates and all this Nobody fucking knows who owns Google, who's one of the biggest fucking companies in the world. I'm sure you know who owns Google, but I feel like, you know, in general, that man on the street test would not be passed. It's, um, but it's also so interesting in this movie when they literally call the New York Stock Exchange... The last bastion of capitalism. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? The last true home of capitalism. And I don't know if this is because... It, Reagan comes to power in 1980, so this is like midway through his first term as, as President of the United States. Yes. And I do kind of wonder, like, is it supposed to be a joke that like this is the last bastion of capitalism in america or is it just like we are so in the early days of this like palpable change in the way that america thinks about capitalism like like the wall street crash hasn't happened in mm. all well, these other i mean those economics were trickling down and fixing everything so. that is true like like it was doing exactly like you tax people less at the top and then that money goes down to the people at the bottom you gotta spend money to make money you gotta create jobs then no one would hoard well no no absolutely no one no one would do this and you know there is this thing where like there is this perception by some rich right-wing people that like you know america has become this socialist country it's more capitalist than ever arguably like they just got better at hiding it and repackaging that gets into like a whole level of like we live in an era where the political discourse has been so poisoned by these right-wing demagogues where like you have people literally coming out i think there was literally a quote i read yesterday where someone wrote oh these socialist commie libtards i'm like Mm -hmm. those are three different political (laughs) beliefs well you can look no further than the fact that liberal is an insult to both parties for different reasons <laughs> you know like um... yeah but that's the thing is like you have these people who don't understand how any of this works yeah. and it is baffling and and like you, you see it in terms of we are now in an era of like liberal capitalism where you have companies like disney going like we've put in five seconds of representation mm-hmm. into into Lightyear, and everyone's like up in arms going, like i can't believe they're doing this socialist stuff it's like this is the bare fucking minimum that they could do <laughs> to represent 10% of the population of the United States of America and you're having like conniptions over yeah. over what the, what is happening yeah, in this. And like, it, like they are not liberal. They are doing it because they can see, boy, there sure is a big demographic of people who are asking us to do this, but yeah. there's a slightly bigger demographic of people who get mad about it, but these people pay more money than the ones who live in like middle of rural fucking Montana. Exactly. Or like there are people who are like, oh, Disney have done like a complete 180 on their policy towards it. And it's like, no, they fucking haven't. They just see where the money 
here. <laughs> and like, you know, you have something like Prey that has just dropped. Open bigots being like, oh, so this big group of like highly trained commandos all get slaughtered by him, but like this one woman with no training can kill. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, the premise is the same. Yeah, anyway. like, it, it, like, the only difference is that Arnold Schwarzenegger could like fit your entire head inside his bicep, whereas this is like. Yeah, but he's not as strong as the Predator, even with that. Like, yep. strength is not how he beats the damn thing. And like, these highly trained commandos blind fire into a jungle for 15 minutes, it feels like. But yeah, I mean, anyway. like, the history of representational film is depressing, and like, this movie is like, I feel like it is pushing something up a hill. Yes, very Sisyphean in its, in its attempts. It's just, it, like, it's Sisyphean attempts are like, as it's pushing it up the hill, it gets distracted by like, some something yeah. really racist off to the side and like, yeah. lets the ball roll down about like, 10 feet or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because, I mean, I think a focused version of this that doesn't wander off and like, riff on stuff for several minutes probably is far more more poignant but that is the nature of the thing you cast I, giant I, comedians who improvise a lot and you have to let them I really like the kind of like the half hour stretch of this movie mm. where they've swapped lives yes like, I, I, think, I think the most successful part is the first hour and particularly yeah when the swap first happens and you have Billy Ray not quite grasping that they're being serious you have and him like just putting all of the objects in the house into his pocket <laughs> it's just like you're stealing from yourself he's like yeah yeah because that's mine isn't it and like oh yeah. I'm just gonna drop my vase and he's like oh you just made us $15,000 because of insurance fraud and I, I think that's my favourite of like the the more subtle political statements it makes is like when Billy Ray goes to that bar and like immediately mm. he's like he's quote unquote giving back to his community not in the way that you see in terms of like I mean you haven't seen Survivor's Remorse have you no. the basketball TV show from a couple of years ago where like there's literally plot lines in that show where like the main characters are like we're trying to get away from being in in like more poverty stricken areas and move on with our lives and stuff like that but like every single person they grew up with is like well I'm the one who drove you to like three basketball games when you were like seven years old so like am I not owed a little bit of money yeah, yeah. kind of thing and like and this movie he turns around and goes like the first thing he does is he buys champagne for everyone at this bar yep. and like everyone's happy and then he goes like let's do a party at my house and then and then he just immediately becomes a like precious rich person who's exactly. like watch my fancy rug he owns things now he has things that are worth money yeah. he isn't living in, in squalor or poverty or whatever and so he has things that matter and are of value to him I do and think they the kind of, happens immediately. Yeah, I think they kind of, that's the one bit they missed the boat on when it comes to like the, well I don't know, because I mean the whole thing is kind of like, we're not just going to spoon feed you our message, but like, they don't engage as much with the ways in which Billy Ray changes and, and like what that means for him. Like, like, the Winthorpe change is, we all get it, we've seen it and everything, and like the Billy Ray change, like he just instantly becomes precious about his stuff and changes his verbiage and like, you know... It, it, like everything, like just instantly becomes a stockbroker overnight, kind of thing. And yeah, then I he... do think it's a shame that they don't have another black character for him to bounce off of. Like yeah. they don't put the effort in to have him have relationships with people from his community that exist yeah. into him having his like life changed. Yeah, there's no like what's happened to you, man, kind of. <laughs> of uh, scene. But that's the thing, and I think it is the failing of this movie coming out when it does, is that even though it's making these interesting, like, again, leftist debate, or ha like making these leftist arguments, the issue it has is ultimately in the movie they all end up rich. And so, like, they still view Billy Ray having yeah, money yeah. as aspirational, as opposed to him being changed and having been stuffy and not doing anything with that money. And 
it's there that the movie is just falling into what is wrong with so much of the 80s view of the world and what has kind of poisoned so much of the world that we live in nowadays is that it has just infected all of Western politics. It's mm-hmm. just this this slow march into having money and probably my, like, my biggest single issue of the movie is, is the way that it ends. Like, and I understand that's me saying that like I think it's a bigger issue than like, <laughs> black the, black, the black and gorilla rape. And gorilla rape and all the rest of it. But to me, it's like it feels like a portrayal of yeah. what up to that point is like a fairly interesting debate that the movie is having as opposed to just this stuff that is so thoroughly of its time that I just kind of have to shrug and go like people were fucked up. I mean to me like them doing blackface they saw as no different than Jamie Lee Curtis doing a Swedish accent and stuff and like you know they're all bad but like they just didn't take it as like oh this is particularly bad (laughs) and it's just like they're being dumb doing bad disguises because this is weird and it's just going to be an episode of SNL for like 10 minutes. Um, by like, the way, did you did you spot Johnny from Airplane? <laughs> I did spot Johnny from Airplane. I was like, what delivering, the the gr- delivering the gorilla. Anyway. But, <laughs> yeah, you have you have this thing, and I really like the kind of, the idea that Billy Ray is good at being a stockbroker because he can come at things yes. from a different point of view, because he's element. like, yeah, he's like, well, people people are like cold at the moment or whatever it is like that like, that's why the pork sales are going down or yeah. i can't remember what the, the exact phrase or, like the exact argument he made was but like he was coming in from a point of view was like well i know people i know how people think on the ground whereas all these people who work in these companies are just kind of going at it from a point of view of like well this is what i would do and they don't actually understand the exactly. mass population and i think they could stand to do a little more of that as well um, mm. and it's it's stuff we've seen in other movies uh, you know like yeah, they have a unique perspective that makes them just as good at this as someone who studied it academically or whatever. Winthorpe went to Harvard and, and all this, and he clearly is good at his job. Like, you know, he makes them all this money. And we have that quiet moment near the beginning where, like, he goes to them and is you know he's just made them all this money and he just sort of wants a bit more than a thank you <laughs> and that they like walk away when he walks away they're like oh yeah he's really good isn't he you can tell he wants more and i mean the reason i feel they contrived it so the movie would work they own his house and like yeah. the butler works for them kind of thing so they're able to just call the butler and be like yeah can you like pretend you don't even know who he is please <laughs> which is super fucked up like the part where like they're trying to almost gaslight him is kind of insanely fucked up because i mean you know they, they plant drugs on him they plant stolen money on him they cancel all his credit cards they have the butler refuse to let him in and pretend he doesn't know who he is it's it's super fucked up and they say that they're like okay fine billy ray is doing better at this than we thought but that doesn't prove that winthorpe is going to turn to a life of crime just because he's poor now and then dan Aykroyd just fucking incredible as this just like just broken man yeah, like he, looking like the sandman for the first he's so good at this like little section of the movie where like especially when he dresses up as like fucking santa yeah that's the like... part when he's just feral and he's just <laughs> eating salmon out of his fucking outfit and grunting at people and then like how fucking dark when he gets off the bus puts the gun to his head mm-hmm. and then like clicks misses it and then throws the gun away and you just hear the gunshot go off and he's just like life has no meaning now i guess i'm just gonna take some fucking pills yeah just fucking pops pills in her bathtub and yeah so along the way to help sell the concept and make everyone abandon him so the dukes have a fixer if you want to call him that clarence beaks who is secretly on the payroll even though he doesn't work for the company and both characters notice this which i think is a nice touch that they're both like clarence beaks so he you know he makes he does dirty stuff for them basically and then he hires jamie lee curtis a sex worker to be all over him and like ask him for drugs and and all this stuff and then you know she with the heart of gold you know the fucking tired cliche takes pity on him takes him in says oh you were 
going to give me five figures when you're back on your feet. But and I like that she knows that he's telling the truth because his hands are so yeah. <laughs> like you've never worked, you've never worked a day in your life. Can I just say I have incredibly soft hands. I don't get manicures, but I have done my share of heavy lifting and stuff. And it's just it's just who I am. You to know? be fair to like a certain group of people, like my my grandmother, rest her soul, once said to my father, and it kind of like caused a massive rift in why my family didn't really spend much time with with us. The family was my, my dad was a police officer from like the okay. age of about from the age of about twenty till till he retired essentially. Not an easy job to do. No. fundamentally in terms of like emotional welfare and all the rest of it and obviously not mm-hmm. saying that like abolish the police etc etc but like it's still like not an easy job to do especially if you're going in there with hopeful expectations of what it is but because yeah. my grandmother grew up in rural Wales and was used to like all the people all the men in her family being being farmers she once said to my to my mother that my dad had never worked a day in his life oh god <laughs> And it was just one of those things where it's like different kinds of work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Work. Like you can't you can't say just because they're they're not a farmer they've never worked a day in their life. Yeah, and, and like when I say I've done my share, you know, I have not been like a bricklayer. I have not been a farmer or anything like that. But you but know, you've, I, done, you've done manual. Yeah, manual yeah, work yeah, yeah. That involves like it's not super heavy stuff, but like it's still like I've lugged some heavy shit around for not yeah, far I, off I, minimum I, wage. Like yeah, yeah. I've, I've done seven and a half hour days just doing like just moving stuff from one place to another place. Yeah. I'm not building a house, but like. I've, I've still done you know people talk about paper cuts cardboard cuts are a bitch oh. <laughs> anyway I got, one, I got one when we were packing up our boxes for our, our move that will happen at some point in the near future and like genuinely the most painful thing that's happened to oh, me fucking terrible fucking terrible and like you know you're wearing like stonewashed jeans you know you put your hands in your pockets like ah fuck <laughs> the joys of retail life anyway yes yeah, so you know we meet Ophelia and <sighs> I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I love her. She's an incredible performer. She seems like a pretty rad human being. This character sucks, man. <laughs> it's so. But she won the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress. I know she did because she's great. But like, and she tries to find some pockets to be an actor here. But like, it is so woman written by men. Um, yeah. It is so like you know. Oh, she knows Hamlet, so she's one of the good ones, kind of thing. And 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 here she is naked. And I'm not saying she shouldn't be naked. And like you know, arguably she should because like she is so much more comfortable with her body and like you could do things with like Winthorpe is very repressed and like his relationship with sex is very like probably Freudian and she is just more comfortable with her body and stuff but I I just fucking hate that she falls for this fucker because he doesn't he slightly softens but the second money is back on the table he's a dick again (laughs) yeah I mean that's the thing is like the movie has got so much potential to be a movie about sex work and race and economics and and class in America and the marginalized because, because it's made in the 80s it just isn't about that and it's got its blinders on because it's made by a director who has made yeah. four very successful movies at this point and it's from an ex-SNL star and it's from the current yeah. biggest and like, I, th- the, like, I think that's where the like critical reevaluation comes from because at the time it's like oh wow all this star making and like, oh it's surprisingly funny and it's the return of the screwball comedy and then over the decades it's like hey while it's iffy <laughs> they have put some ideas out there in the film that like you can take further with further, further discussion further reading other stuff that is still relevant to this day and you just wish that they had like realized what they had kind of thing and then i mean what the after the suicide attempt you just end up with them finally figuring out kind of what's going on because eddie murphy's (laughs) smoked one of the joints that (laughs) i love that (laughs) when he plants the drugs he's got all the bad ones here (laughs) 
And, and you know, to just really date it, they obviously mentioned Quaaludes, which don't exist anymore. And yeah. They've all expired at this point. <laughs> the funniest thing about Quaaludes is, like, if you find Quaaludes, they're probably going to fuck you up even more than... <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, Eddie Murphy is like, oh, you can't give him a chance. Like, these people are bad. And then he pockets the... He does pocket the joint anyway. <laughs> just goes to smoke it and uh, overhears the... Some fantastic physical comedy from him yeah. where, like, he smokes the joint, smokes, uh, breathes it into the air vent to, like, not leave the scent in the cubicle, whatever it is. And then when he hears people come in and realises who it is, he puts it in his mouth and immediately realises he's put a lit joint inside of his mouth. Eddie Murphy good in this movie. Eddie Murphy good in general. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we, did, we did this because we wanted to cover an Eddie Murphy movie yeah. and I think it's impossible to say like, you can tell why this guy became a, a fucking star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Two, maybe not the biggest star of the 80s, one of the biggest stars of the 80s. Like, an absolute machine. Stuff happens to him in subsequent decades in his personal life that are a bit... But yeah, it can't be understated how fucking huge he was. And like, I fucking love Beverly Hills Cop. I I respect the decision to pick the movie we've picked by that director. But yeah, I fucking love Beverly Hills Cop and and just a huge, huge star. And like one of the one of the big moves from TV comedy to being an outrageously big film star. Like obviously, Aykroyd had done this years earlier, but his career had started to go downhill a bit, and this I mean, movie Acro- revives him. Ackroyd's just a weird guy, yeah. and maybe we'll get into how much of a weird guy he is next week on this podcast. Okay. It is interesting, because this is the transitional movie for John Landis, because obviously, he does like it feels like he kind of like swaps who his leading man is, man is because obviously, mm. Animal House is Belushi as the lead. Then he does Blue Brothers, which is Belushi and Ackroyd. And like, this movie contains like several homages to Blue's Brothers and like, as I've said a couple of times, like it was originally, they were going to like, run it back like change the setting and like Belushi was gonna be in Ghostbusters and, and all sorts of stuff and then and then obviously this movie is then Aykroyd and Murphy and then Murphy just becomes the go-to Landis guy for kind of the next 10 years until they stop working together after Beverly Hills Cop 3 is there a reason why do you prefer Blues Brothers to this or um, we- American Werewolf uh, I've never really been an American Werewolf guy I'm afraid <sighs> Blues Brothers is a weird... Like, there is so much about Blues Brothers I like, but just there's something about the overall package where I would slightly lean towards this. Even with all its problematic elements. Where yeah. It's like, the last thing is, like, I feel like John Landis is one of those directors who I'm like, I can appreciate what he did for comedy, but so much of his career is like, he never quite makes a movie that I call an out-and-out masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. It's what makes him easy to kind of, like, shrug off because of all the awful shit from his life is because it's like, right, because I don't think he's made, like, that five-star masterpiece, I can kind of go, like, I can compartmentalise his career a lot more. I don't have that kind of issue in terms of, like, oh, shit, like, this person who has made art that I love is shitty. Yeah, and fundamentally, we pick these movies to podcast about them. I know that sounds fucking stupid, but, like, in every movie we've picked, even the silly ones, even the weird ones, even the ones where it's like, really? There has to be something to talk about. Like, a, a real, like, nugget of something to really delve into, and I think this has it even with the stuff around the edge to a degree the Blues Brothers does not yes and then there's Empire Records where I'm just like I really miss fucking a record well, but even Empire Records has got like <laughs> there's a kernel of interesting stuff there just yeah, like okay. a weird behind the scenes stories or whatever yeah, yeah. and how very very 90s it is yeah um, <laughs> So yeah, they uncover the plot in terms of like what's going to go on with it with Beaks. He's going to reveal to them. Oh the... god, can we just just very quickly intensely weird choice that these guys are like agricultural magnates, like they're trading in frozen orange juice and wheat and pork bellies. Every other movie that makes this are like they're looking into gold, they're looking into like weird companies or whatever, and they're like their their biggest thing. <laughs> 
hinges I on the I agricultural just, I crop. I find it intensely funny because you have obviously the scene when they're, they're introducing Billy Ray to all the stuff that they do, and it's like, mm. here's pork, wheat that makes your bread, here's coffee, and then they're like, and obviously frozen orange juice concentrate, and you're like, wait, 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 what? No, Sorry, what the fuck? Short, why have you added on like three? extra words onto that surely you could just be do like we do orange juice or we do oranges and like that yeah, yeah, yeah. frozen concentrated orange juice which i think as like just a phrase is so intensely funny yeah that that's like gotta that. be what it is they were like what's the weirdest stock on the market or something <laughs> also i like that when they lay all that out he's like oh i've already had breakfast good little touch i love that when they've all decided right it's enough of this we need to we need to bring them down and like you know coleman lets him in and everything and he's recovering in his own bed <laughs> ophelia has just fully transitioned to soccer mom like she's wearing like a christmas jumper he's like okay thanks bit weird it turns out that shockingly the dukes and on top of being terrible people are also crooked they are using beaks to get early access to the government agricultural report which you know insider trading basically, or something else convoluted that I don't understand. No, that it, is bad. It, would, it would be insider trading, basically okay. using knowledge to their benefit to yeah. kind of like affect the stock market. Which never happened. So they oh, they conceive this super fucked up plan. They, they, can we, can, do we have to discuss the train? The train is just... I'll do it in 30 seconds. They, 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 they tail him, they engage in some weird disguising and, and fuckery to swap the cases around, and they end I up... I do like Coleman's disguise. Yeah, fine, sure. Denholm Elliott, good yeah. in his disguise. Denholm Elliott, great in the movie. Like, his little looks at all the people at the party. You know, his sort of silent judgement of Winthorpe and Penelope and stuff like that, making a crepsisette for them that they don't even want. And like, oh, you have it. Thanks. <laughs> um, we're going to go We're gonna go shag on the floor of this, of the, the, the drawing room or whatever. Yeah, yeah, in a very... Something... I don't know, rich people shouldn't have sex. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so the Dukes end up with a fake report, and they have real one, and then you may enjoy this final scene. I am of the opinion they did not need to try and create such an elaborate thing, to the point where Eddie Murphy confessed he had no idea what was going on, and he was just acting as instructed. They could have done a much simpler version of this, where they're just like... There's so many things about this scene that make no sense, because they don't actually explain what's going on. So... Go on, go on. So basically, the Dukes start buying orange juice concentrate shares because they think that the crop report's come in and is really good. So basically, because Winthrop and Billy Ray know that the stock report, like the the the, the growth report, is just normal, like isn't it that they think there is going to be orange crops have been ravaged, therefore orange is more valuable because there's less of it, whereas actually it has survived the famine and therefore yes. it's common as muck and worthless. Yes, exactly. Yes. That is that is. The I mean, that's fine. I understand that. It... <laughs> and then, but then the moment, what they don't do is they don't announce that they're actually short selling yeah. juice futures. They just say two words and then all of a sudden the money starts going down and you just kind of go like, what? They don't, but yeah, they're, what they're doing is they're basically, they're short selling the orange juice futures, which basically means they're betting against it going up, which causes the stock price to go down, which is... Because everyone cottons on, oh, they're trying to corner the market, let's get in on this. Yeah, which is identical to what happens in GameStop, is basically what yeah. happened was a bunch, whole bunch of people were started, like, short-selling the stock, where basically they bought stock shares to make a profit of, essentially, where, like, they made a bet that the stock prices would go down by $10, and then they sell off what their shares are to someone else, and then basically when the stock prices go down, they're able to buy the shares back for a lower than what they sold them for. 
Yes. I just think they could have executed this in a way that like the average human being can understand. I think it's nearly impossible to explain this the concept of this because then you just be like, Oh, we gave them a fake report and they made a bad investment and now they're bankrupt and we're rich. Like you don't have to fucking show me fifteen minutes of them on the stock floor and like all that shit. I mean, obviously you get funny stuff like Randolph has like a heart attack and (laughs) Mortimer just yells fuck him while (laughs) while they're trying to understand what's happening. Donamichi does not swear was uncomfortable doing it so they got one take out of him and he refused to do it again <laughs> yeah 394 million dollars is what they lose presumably yes. with and valentine make a similar amount in positive amounts. i think this is based on a story of a couple of brothers in texas trying to corner the market on silver and they ended up unable to cover a hundred million dollar margin call i don't know what a margin call is but i know how to use it in the right context <laughs> ben can explain stocks on his side podcast anyway they end up rich the the dukes end up poor they all are on a tropical island even coleman oh super fucked up that they convince fucking coleman and ophelia to lend them their life savings yeah um, we have no money but if you guys could just like do everything for us yeah because they're not borrowing against is it called a house <laughs> i don't know and so they need cash value to do all of the short uh stocks are fucked up man i hate that the world is run by fucking stockbrokers yeah bad, they end world, up rich. bad world and then the movie obviously ends it's like they're all rich because it's the 80s and that's what the american dream is and we should all aspire wouldn't that be this. nice if they end up rich Woo. so there you go deeply weird movie that yeah. as i've said repeatedly like weirdly progressive but also so thoroughly of its well time. you you phrase it to me as because it is so progressive most of the time it makes it double jarring yeah. when it isn't <laughs> it, yeah exactly like it's like this feels like it's a movie that understands the context of what it's doing that when it doesn't understand the context of what it's doing it's like oh was this all it like, makes you wonder if it's all an accident yeah. Like they just made what they thought was funny, haha, black guys are poor, white guys are rich, ha 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 ha, and then like accidentally there's some commentary on economic struggle and how the system is rigged to keep the people, the marginalized people down and to help the, you know, bail out the rich people. I don't think it does the most eloquent job of showing Dan Aykroyd's descent into crime. The general concept that there just is no opportunity to, as it were, crawl out of the basement. And you just get so many people like, why don't you just get a job? Why don't you just do this? And it's like, you don't, you don't get it. Don't worry about it. He does buy that gun though. He does buy that gun. From Bo Diddley. From Bo Diddley. <laughs> With his $6,000 watch. Well, I'm fairly as worth $50. I don't know what to tell you. And we do get Al Franken and Tom Davis as the gorilla handlers. Al Franken had no idea what was ahead of him when this, when this movie was made. His future as a senator and a sexual harassment man. Anyway, that's the movie. It's teeming with, with weird bad stuff, but there's some good, accidental or not. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I don't that, but that is the thing. Is I think that what makes it so interesting to discuss is the yeah. accidental nature of so much of this where it's yeah. just it's so hard to kind of like grapple with it actually made me want to like dive into those kind of like early john landers movies again mm. and just kind of like put them into context in my mind essentially but we'll see <laughs> is whether this I'm, one I'm, where I'm, he kills someone or not yeah no <laughs> okay cool and you know as i said already can't be understated like you know this launches eddie murphy's career this launches jamie lee curse's mainstream career it revives dan Aykroyd, which will continue next week as we cover Ghostbusters. A movie um, which Dan Aykroyd thinks is real. 
Sorry, what? Dan Aykroyd thinks all of the content in Ghostbusters is like it's his real opinion on like the afterlife and ghosts and stuff like oh, that. Oh right, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Right, <laughs> well that will be fun. Have we ever had back to back the same star before? I feel we've had an actor in two movies in a row, but not in a main role. Yeah, I, I think this is the first time that we'll be doing back to back like this. But the lead actor in both of these is is the same person functionally. Yeah. Well, that will be next week. Until then, the pressure is off me to come up with a fun thing at the end. So Ben, <laughs> will there be movies? Yes, but. Uh, looking at this, I don't think there's any more blackface, thank God. Like, I, I think we're done. I sincerely hope we are done. <laughs> if we're not, we might have to have some private discussion. <laughs> right, bye, everyone. <laughs> bye. And I did it for so long, I got nothing to show. Holy No matter what, it was like quite a late addition. Or maybe it was like we were just like, we need an Eddie Murphy and we're not doing Beverly Hills Cop. Why aren't we doing Beverly Hills Cop? Is my first question. Do you not like Beverly Hills Cop? I think it's fine. I think that was because Martin Brest does that one and I wanted to do Midnight Run more. Ah, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, alright, that makes sense.